Welcome to the Swim Coach in Transit podcast. I am your host, Lucas Fejeda. If this is your first time catching this show, and this being the very first episode, I would bet it is, here's the background to it. I've been a swim coach for 10 years and decided to take a little break from everyday coaching and travel around the U.S. to visit some clubs. While doing so, there were many questions I wanted to ask other coaches out there and thought other people might have similar questions. So whenever possible, I set up a mic and recorded those conversations. You'll see this is not your typical 30 to 40 minute podcast. In fact, most interviews will be in the hour and a half range. And that really is the format that I was looking for. I basically just wanted to give my guests time to talk and see where the conversation took us. In this very first episode, I sat down with my good friend Greg Temple, who at the time had just made a transition from club coaching in Des Moines, Iowa, to college coaching in Liberty, Missouri. When I started plotting my trip, I was very excited when I realized Greg was going to be my first stop, and therefore my very first interview. And he did not disappoint. What, what did disappoint were my first-time live audio recording skills, as well as my interviewing skills. You see, the audio to this specific show is a little lower than ideal, and especially at the very beginning, it takes a while for us, or in reality for me, to get going. I really hope this does not stop anyone from listening, because the conversation itself was really great. So... Here's the very first episode of the Swim Coaching Transit podcast, a great conversation with my good friend, Greg Temple, and I hope you enjoy it. Well, hello and welcome. Um, I am here with uh, Greg Temple, who is the head coach for uh, uh, William Jewell College. That's right. Uh, just moved in. Uh, first of all, Greg, thank you for the hospitality, having me over and having me on deck for a couple of days. Absolutely. Anytime, my friend. Um, so uh, Greg just made a transition from um, club coaching, uh, was a head coach for how many years? Uh, head coach, program director for right around nine years in Des Moines. That was uh, with uh, Des Moines Swim Federation. That's right. And uh, let's go ahead and get started, actually. Prior to that, I guess it's a good segue to start on that, uh, talking about kind of your pathway to where you are right now, uh, starting with your, uh, I guess, swimming career. You were actually a swimmer for uh, DMSF as well. Is that yeah, correct? That's right. Yeah, I actually started swimming as a country club swimmer when we lived in Phoenix. Uh, when we moved back to Des Moines as a, I believe, second grader. I don't remember the year off the top of my head. I joined uh, Des Moines Swimming Federation as a little seven, eight-year-old and was a member of that team all the way through high school. Uh, upon finishing high school, I ended up at uh, what was then Southwest Missouri State, now Missouri State University, go Bears, uh, and competed there for four years. Okay, and if I remember correctly, you were not a full-time coach right off college, right? Did you have... Uh yeah, uh, so what my coaching career technically would have started in college as a high school assistant and then swim lessons with Missouri State Aquatics. And I believe I'd worked with some of the eight and under groups here and there, kind of as a part-time gig. 
just for a little side money while I was finishing up my degree. Um, and then I actually had no intention of coaching. I was in Phoenix doing an internship with Choice Hotels. And my old head coach, who is now at Iowa State, Kelly Nordell, called me saying she was leaving BMSF and they were looking for a head age group coach and that she thought I should apply. And so went through that process and was offered that job. But that job was not a full-time position. It was head age group coach. The club was pretty small at the time. And I accepted it for $20,000, no benefits, uh, running the age group program there. Uh, and I don't want to say it was like a, I needed a job type situation and I can do this till I find something better. Uh, it certainly wasn't not that, I mean, it certainly was a a situation where I needed some work and, uh, was kind of looking to relocate back to the Midwest after working in Phoenix. And so, yeah, I I accepted the job and then ended up having to find a part-time job on top of that to supplement my income. Okay. And how did that, uh, I guess how, how large was the club at that time? I think the club at that point was, I think it was a little less than 50 athletes. I guess during my time in college, they had some, uh, you know, ups and downs as every club did, but they were in a, it was a pretty bad downturn at that time. When I, when I came on, the staff had completely turned over and, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a, it was a re a rebuild project from the get go. All right. And how did, um, how did I become a full-time job? And then, so it was, it was a, uh, I mean, it was a part-time job for about 18 months. Um, at the end of, I guess my, what would have been my second short course season, um, our head coach at the time, uh, left the program. And so I was given the opportunity to take the summer long course season on in an interim kind of a, an interim role while they did a search for a head coach. So I kind of was able to jump into the role and I had, I had a great board president at the time who was, who was very interested in helping me learn the position without thrusting me directly into, you need to make sure you're doing meets and entries and everything. So I was basically told, You'll be the interim head coach. You know, you'll be coaching a lot, obviously, and preparing workouts and entries and all that stuff, stuff that I was pretty comfortable with already at the time, and then was able to ease into sanctioning meets, running meets, you know, all the stuff that kind of goes on behind the scenes that most most people don't even consider. Yeah, most, most people, especially assistant coaches, probably are not aware of uh, the, yeah, the business I mean, side. Yeah, the dry side of running a swim club is is way more work than the wet side, as most most club coaches would understand. I'm I'm sure. Yeah, and yeah, so at, you know, at the end of the day, we you know they did the interviews, and I was able to. I mean, I obviously applied for the job as well since I was already doing it, and that was actually I believe the first time it became a full time position was about two years into my to my Dear. age group job slash home theater salesman at Best Buy, I believe. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and fast forward, uh, 10 years. 
Yeah, give or take. It was. It was I think it was about nine. I would have. I think if had I gone through twenty twenty, it would have been ten years as head coach. But I left after nine. I guess nine and a half, if you want to call it that. Okay, and uh, laugh club coaching. First of all, you uh, at first potentially leaving coaching at the time as well, correct? Living. Yeah, I mean, we so we had a we had an interesting family circumstance that took me out of the club role in Des Moines. Uh, my wife took a uh, assistant principal position down here in the KC Metro, so we were I was leaving Des Moines regardless. Um, and when this job came up, uh, we my wife and I had a lot of serious talks about the profession as a whole, um, whether or not it was something I wanted to continue. Um, know going forward it, it's it, it's a tricky job as, as, as you know and, and most coaches know and at any level that that the time you put in is at usually at strange hours um, the payoff isn't necessarily the best uh, you know we do it because we love the sport and we like the athletes uh, but yeah we had a lot of serious chats about whether or not this is something I would want to do or should be doing when it comes to, you know, raising a family. Right. I mean, I guess uh, putting uh, people that are not aware, uh, you you have a three-year-old. I have a three-year-old, uh, and we have one on the way. So, so yeah, that uh, does raise more questions with regards to what what the profession, uh, yeah. the toll that the profession takes on the family life. Well, and, and every club's going to be different. You know, ours was we, – we didn't own a pool. We were – like, most clubs won't own a pool. Right. Most right. everybody you'd guess would be uh, renting space at one, two, three, four, five different pools. Um, so you're kind of at the whim of the facility. In our case, we were with uh, West Des Moines schools for primarily and we had a great relationship with them, but they still had to run their high school teams six months out of the year. And so we got we got the scraps. Right. And that's not there's. It is what it is, and we did the best we could with the space we were allotted. Uh, we didn't have access to a weight room. We didn't have access to a gym very often. Um, it was basically you could have the pool from 7 to 9.30 p.m. most nights, earlier on Fridays and a lot of weekends. Um, and, again, that that's we – knew, we knew what we were getting into. Like, I knew the job. I knew the hours. Correct. And, honestly, until I was able – until I knew I was leaving, I didn't realize how hard that is um, to run those hours, those, you know, 5.30 to 7 a.m. a couple days a week, and then 7 to 9.30 p.m. Right. It was uh, it was something that I, I plan on talking later on, but since we're kind of uh, already hitting on, um, it's kind of like you said, we, we do it, we, we love the sport, uh, we, we love the athletes, uh, but at some point and depending on what stage you are in life you do have to start asking the question is this is this where i want to be doing for the next 20 30 years and and is this the right place for me to be uh with my family um so it sounds like that was that was a kind of a crossroads for you in terms of uh yeah well and i was almost i don't want to say i was lucky because we were moving i i was able to basically be taken out of the situation we i'm not sure if left to my own devices had i been a a single guy i would have ever left right um i was like I, yeah again like i said i think i may have been lucky that my wife who has a great job and it, it been a you know 
very stable uh, field, education. You know, there's that's not going anywhere. Yeah. Uh, that she had found found a, a good job, um, and we have family in KC, and you know, and we have a lot of support down here. So, I was able to kind of walk back from the club, saying, you know, this isn't about me trying to find another job and leaving. It's we're leaving. Right. The, the decision was made. It was made, and, and we were out the door, and, and, and that was that. And that really only then did I realize how hard it had been on me physically, mentally, and on my family that I was working those crazy hours. Now, I will say on the absolute bright side is I got to spend the first two, three years of my son's life at home with him during the school day. You know, because my, my wife would be at school. And so we would, you know, if I had morning practice, we would trade trade off the child at, at school. And I got to spend all day with my kid. And that was great. But we know that won't last. Eventually he'll be like he's currently in, in pre-K. Right. So he's at school full time, you know, from 730 to 4. So had I still been club coaching at this point. Right now you almost don't I see would, him. Yeah, I would yeah. like I'd get home for morning practice. He'd be gone. He would come home from school. I'd maybe have an hour, an hour and a half with him. And then I'd have to go to practice. And by the time I got home, he'd be asleep. And that is not something I thought I would, I could do long term. Right. Right. And I mean, luckily, and, and again, it's only been a month in the college system. The schedule allows me to walk off the pool deck at 530 every night. You know, so he gets home from school. I'm home 30, 40 minutes later. And obviously there'll be travel and stuff like that, but it's not four day swim meets. It's not, you know, it's, we have a long conference meet and hopefully NCAAs will be long, but dual meets are three hours. Right. right? Or, you know, with some travel here and there, they're one day. It's, it it allows, it doesn't force me to be away from my family for extended periods of time, which is something I'm looking forward to a lot. Right. Yeah. It sounds like you obviously there's there's work, but there's a little more time flexibility in terms of. uh, Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, every coaching job's different. And I mean, the coaching will be there no matter what. You're going to have to prep workouts. You're going to have to plan. You're going to have to run workouts, obviously. Um, And this is just a different system. Right now, when you I still have to schedule meets, but now I'm scheduling them with other coaches versus the LSC. we're still doing travel arrangements where, you know, it's, it's the same. It's just different. It's the same, but it's completely different at the same yeah. time. Yeah. And, and I guess, like I said, the, the time especially is, is a lot more family friendly. It seems like. Yeah. Thus far I've found that it's, I'm able to, I can be home for dinner. Like that's great. <laughs> it's a, it's yeah. I, I, I don't think most people realize that. Like, you know, if you work an eight to five, you're home at, you know, five thirty six o'clock every night. You don't think much of it, and that's c- the complete flip of what most coaches' schedules are. Where we're working when people are still sleeping, right? And when they're at work, we're working. Yeah, still. We're working, working from working home. At home, you know, we're working at a coffee shop with a laptop. Um, and then when they come home from work, we're back on the pool deck until they're potentially in bed already. Correct. So yeah. it's just the opposite, and that, I think that worked well when I was younger. I tend to be a little bit of a night owl in general anyway. Um, but as I got older and then obviously having a kid, it, it's, I'm not sure it would have worked long term anyway. Like had I still been into one, I think I probably would have ended up running myself into the ground. 
looking for something else. Uh, probably. Potentially, yeah. Uh, so, and how did... Um, first of all, I was... Uh, I guess I got the news that you were moving and, and live in Des Moines. And, and the news that you got a coaching job uh, came in later. Mm-hmm. Uh, I personally was very happy because I felt like uh, one of the good guys in coaching is still coaching. And that's good for the sport. But how did that job come about? I mean, I, I guess it's a very fortuitous uh, coincidence that a job where you were moving to a college uh, became open, right? Yeah, I, th- I think it was happenstance, right? I mean, so this program was, it was, I, I think it was disbanded at some point in the 80s. I don't know the exact history, but it was a program that had been cut. And I believe it was a men's only program at the time. I, I could be wrong there. Um, but then back in 2011, they... The, the college jumped from NAIA to Division Two, which has different sport requirements. You have to offer more sports, is, is my understanding. And, and uh, men's and women's swimming were brought back in 2011. And then, you know, they had a, 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 a coach who actually I have a lot of respect for that ran the program for, I believe, six or seven years before uh, moving on to another coaching position. And that was about a year ago and last year they were on an interim head coach and um yeah they just reopened the search and i actually didn't apply when it came up because i didn't know we were moving and then when we decided we were moving the post had actually been pulled so it was kind of one of those like oh well like bad timing type thing and then it actually was reposted probably like four or five days later and yeah, I, I, you know, jumped through the application process as quickly as I could, updated the resume, got my references together, and uh, actually got a call. I was like, I think I, I just, I think I just got done working out, and I was like, just rolling into my house. And I got a call from our athletic director, Tom, and he was like, Hey, do you got to get some time to chat? And I was like, Oh, this is a, <laughs> this is a job interview. Like normally, <laughs> if someone's gonna give you a phone interview, they give you a heads up. But I ended up having about a ninety-minute chat on the phone. You know, just kind of meandering about my house because you can't sit still while you're taking a cell phone call. You have to walk everywhere. Right. Um, so had a really good chat and, you know, it was offered a in-person interview and here we are. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I think it was just happenstance. I don't – sometimes the world works in your favor and more often <laughs> it doesn't actually. <laughs> so um again uh yeah from from my end i was, I was happy that, that that was the case i was happy to know that you're you're going to be involved in in the sports well too. we got we kn- we met each other through aaron nakama when you were at aim cyclone Correct. right and we got to know each other probably better through a mutual appreciation of formula one racing that is that is that correct, is correct. Yes. <laughs> and we still talk about f1 to this day yeah via chat you know text or whatever every once that, in a that, while yeah, make sure you tune in to this race don't spoil <laughs> it for me type stuff right and then we've probably well you moved what eight or nine years ago now yes. to atlanta yeah and so we lost a little bit of touch outside of the occasional convention meetup or yeah, I guess text in person, yeah, text, text over Formula One or, or in person right. only a convention, really. Yeah, and we had a lot of, re- even a convention, I mean, we're in a swimming, that's a swimming-centered f- forum, clearly. And so we talked a lot of shop there, but a lot of our swimming conversations really didn't, they were, we didn't talk a lot about swimming during that time, mostly just F1 chats Correct. over yeah. over text, <laughs> right? Uh, Occasionally we talk on the phone, I guess. 
Yes, we, we would catch up. We, we would catch up and, and talk about when we, when we sat down at convention over you know over a, over dinner or over a drink or something. It was like straight swimming talk. That yeah, I guess. Yeah, I you and I have a very similar approach to, like, we want to know what the national team's doing like right now. Like, we want to talk to Russell Mark, obviously being the the guy we like. Right. Like, you came from convention last week to Kansas City, and it was instantly. Here's what Russell Mark talked about. He had the yeah. best talk there. <laughs> yeah, I say that uh, I've done. I've done word clinics for, I guess, five or six years, uh, uh, visited clubs and, and gone to convention. Uh, visiting clubs is it's unique and, and being able to, again, just like I'm doing here with you, being on deck with somebody and seeing the day-to-day, I think it's probably the best uh, learning opportunity that somebody can, can take. But after that, I feel like that, that talk that Rosamar gives uh, every year at convention, it, it beats every uh, clinic I've been to. Cause it's you, like a state of the the national team in a sense correct it's it, it really is it's uh seeing with images what what the top swimmers in the country are doing and uh he does a great job identifying common trends and common issues and and if you if you were not a convention well i guess i don't know when this is going to be posted but uh at this right now it's september and convention was just last week and russell mark uh main point was on the uh current state of uh men's long distance swimming in the u.s which is is uh it's lacking falling, falling yeah. behind <laughs> it's say. lacking uh so again he just presented some some data to, uh, show the numbers and and that makes it uh i guess it just has a great job of uh, making making his case in a very compelling manner uh yeah. so you come out of those talks he's got data right correct i love data yeah I'm, I'm the same i guess if you're a data you know, guy that's if you like numbers and stuff and yeah. stroke rates and all that stuff man that's that's he's your guy yeah absolutely so he's your guy. yeah I, I i'd say anybody that has uh the ability to go to convention I, it's also it's kind of interesting how convention is mostly officials and not as many coaches i feel like uh i think a lot of uh I mean, coaches are doing the day to day. There's a lot of coach reps, and they're yeah, yeah. But there's a lot of non-coach bodies. Correct. Yes. And I was I had the opportunity to go a couple times, Dallas and Atlanta, and I mean it's it's a it's a ton of information. And right. It's a lot of good information. Yeah. And I feel like club coaches sometimes uh, either don't get involved with their LSC, or even when they are in a position they get, that are involved that are invited to go to convention maybe they choose not to go because of where he falls in the season yeah it's a bad time it's a bad time most people would have just kicked off their short course season correct you're kind of just getting started well and and now from a college perspective you're almost it's almost impossible for a college coach to go because you would have just started your you know 144 day ncaa season Right. right around maybe a little before that but you can't really afford to take yeah, it's f- five days, it's, right? It's f- I guess. I mean, you can right now Wednesday through Saturday. Uh, you, th- the bulk of it happens Wednesday through Saturday. I, I'd still say though, if uh, if you have any chance of working things out uh, to end up going, I, I think it's uh, is a worthwhile experience. It's uh, every time I've gone to convention, I felt like I came back yeah. a better coach, and and that's that's something that's worth. Uh, thinking about well, yeah then it's worth your time yeah exactly and the lsc's money <laughs> and, and, yes 
Um, sorry, sorry, LSCs out there. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess if you, when you come back a better coach and and put that in the service of your club and the LSE, that that it also does, does benefit the LSE. The LSE. Yeah. Uh, well, that and that's a lot of LSE changes come from those convention meetings. Correct. This is yes. what they're doing in Ohio. This is what they're doing. Yeah, I feel like that's that's the other thing too. It because we don't get to see coaches from Georgia. Yeah. Ever be, in, in Iowa, unless we. Talk to him at convention. Yeah, right? be, maybe beyond the the normal setup talks is just uh, going out for drinks with somebody else, or sitting on a table and talking uh, talking to people from Wisconsin or uh, Minnesota or California or anywhere across the country, and just asking questions. And uh, yeah, you get you get a lot of ideas, a lot of yeah. ideas. And if you can just take one back, that, if you can take one back to LSC. It's 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 a big deal. I think that's correct. Yes. Um, did you, um, did you have any like special mentors, uh, that would, you would say helped you along the way? Um, so I've had a lot of people help me, no question I ask, and I, I could name off a thousand of them. Uh, the interesting thing I think about my path is that my, my head coach for the 18 months I was head age group coach, my boss was a very smart guy, uh, but he didn't. I don't want to throw him under the bus. He 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 helped me, but he, I wouldn't have ever considered him to be a mentor in a, in a way. He was a very like, here's what I need you to do, get it done type. Um, there wasn't a lot of like teaching the the ways, if you will. Um, so I kind of had to pick up a lot on my own. Um, but what you do in those situations is you reach out to people that you know can help you. So a lot of the people. Uh, that helped me, Don Spellman, Nick Lakin, um, probably were the two big ones early in my career. Uh, who were, and Aaron Nakama, who, who uh, you know all those all those dudes pretty well. Uh, they helped me a lot. The, and it the wasn't, Five Star Alliance from lot, Iowa. The Five Star Alliance, <laughs> that's right. And it wasn't even so much like I, they were helping me with like the the coaching stuff. I thought I, I I've since learned I probably didn't have as firm a grasp on that as I thought I did at the time, but it was like. It was organizational stuff, which is the help I needed at the time. It was cultural stuff um, with a group of kids that were getting used to me. Um, those were the things I I reached out more about because the t I think the technical stuff you can read a lot into that. You can watch video on that. You can pick and, and you're going to pick up your own kind of style and flair when it comes to teaching stroke, you know, fundamentals, all that stuff. But th those three people probably helped me more when it came to, like, oh, my God, I don't, I'm going to do with these 20 kids. Like, they're wild animals. What am I trying? I got to get them. And then, you know, they could say, I've dealt with this. This is what I would recommend. Here's some resources you can go to. Um, and a lot. And to be honest, those three, it was like, I just need to blow off some steam. Right? Because at the end of the day, you walk off deck after, you know, two or three, four hours. And it was terrible, and I just need someone to tell, like, listen, right. it's gone through it. Sometimes you just, just need a just sounding say, yeah, board. Yeah, that's bad. That's a bad one. And then, yeah. like, after, you know, 20 minute chat, you got it off your chest, and uh, and then you just kind of move on. Because yeah. we, we talked about this yesterday. So the, I guess I'll, I'll kind of cycle back to having a mentor. The one person who I haven't mentioned was, and I, I just had mentioned her because she's now at Iowa State, and she's the one who kind of recommended me for the age group job was Kelly Nordell, um, who I swam for as a high schooler. 
um, and I love her to death. And she's taught me so much about kind of the, um, I don't want to put this, like the interaction with kids or just people the in general. The I guess the relationship that, side. The relationship building side. Um, and and uh, we talked about some of the things the other day, one of which being you need to have the shortest of short-term memories in this business because if someone – if if a group is like we, t- you know, if if we kick the whole group out, yeah, I guess that that's, Thursday, a, that's, that's, a <laughs> that's something that that's came. That's the story up. we talked about. The story yeah, we like, talked about yesterday, yeah, where kick I kick thre- your whole senior group threw, out of practice. I threw our whole <laughs> senior group out of practice. To their credit, they stuck around and finished the practice without me, um, which may be a safety issue, but they did it. <laughs> uh, but in those situations, where when it comes to having the short-term memory, they have to come in the next day, and right. train, and you can't come in hot about yeah, yesterday it, it would be a mistake so it was one of those like you, they come in the next day and all's well like nothing happened and that was some of the best advice i got because it allowed you to you know you hope that in the in reality that if someone freaks out on you like that and kicks you out of practice they're not going to hold a grudge against you for the next three four weeks so the next day they come in hey how's it going good to see you thanks for coming and then and it's like nothing happened, and but they know that it's there if, if they if they continue yeah, to they, <laughs> step out of line. I guess. I guess the the precedent was set in terms of uh, needing to have some sort of uh, order. Yeah, but and I don't I don't think I'm a very angry person. So if I I think if I got to that level, and this would have been probably seven eight years ago now, if I, something must have tripped me real bad because <laughs> I I think I'm a pretty laid back person. Most I think people would agree with me on that one. Uh, the other thing she said, and this was a little, this one didn't really make sense at, at when she told me. Um, but as I got older, it made, it started to kind of like make way more sense was she told me something along the lines of you as a coach cannot care more than the athlete cares. So if you have a athlete who is paying, you know, 150 bucks a month to be on your club and only wants to be there half the time and doesn't necessarily care about competing, you will run yourself into the ground trying to motivate them past that. Right. So if they come in, and I'm not saying like this person's a terrible human being because most swimmers aren't. Right. But if someone comes in and they say, yeah, I just want to be in shape when high school rolls around or I just want to be in shape, you know, through the summer or I'm getting in shape for track season, whatever, you know, I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with that, right, as a coach. What I'll say, though, is I'm not going to put extra energy into you because you're not putting the energy in yourself. Right. right? I and think – And that sounds terrible to say, like, I don't I – don't, like, it sounds bad to say don't care about the kid. I'm saying when they walk in, greet them like everybody else. Right. I'm happy to see them. I'm glad they're at practice. But if they're not putting swimming as a priority, then then why should we prioritize them, you know, when it comes to our energy? Yeah, I think, uh, and some coaches would probably struggle with if you have a kid that's it's not buying in and trying to create a culture in a group that buys in. And so that there might be something to be said about how you handle that in terms of trying to create the environment for the kids that are 
Correct. Uh, I mean, in a perfect world, you'd have a separate group for people like that, right? If you, if you had more pool time, more pool space, you could have a, a I don't know, call it a senior development group. Or what, you know, I've heard that name thrown out. As these are people that they are offered five practices a week, and we want them there three times. Right. Okay. Perfect. Well, our program didn't have the time, space, resources for that. And you're not ready to just turn them away. And, and well, we or, don't want to turn or, kids away. Right. You know, you, we, you still want to work with them. Where, we want to try and help them as best we can, but um, you know, we we also don't want to take time away from the you know the hundred percent attendance people, and give that to the fifty percent or thirty percent attendance people. Correct. Um, I've maybe that's a weird look at it. Maybe that's a that's a regional thing because of our situation in Des Moines too. Yeah, yeah. You know. There, I, I'm sure. I'm guessing while there's, while aren't turning athletes away yeah, because they're not I, getting doing. At practices. the same time, I do think that that is a a national reality currently in terms of you're you're gonna have uh, kids that are want to come to swimming and are fully committed, and kids that want to come to swimming and and swimming is not first; it's it's third or fourth or fifth yeah. in their in kids do everything nowadays. right. And uh, I guess one of the one of the things that I'd say to that regard that helped me was um, to understand that just because what I'm thinking is right doesn't mean that somebody else is going to buy into it. So when I talk about like here's what you have to do to be successful in swimming and and this and this and this and I have the plan and I hope that I'm right. I mean, obviously I'm yeah, thinking the way. Yeah. We all do. We all do. Uh, but even if it is right, it doesn't it doesn't mean that somebody else is going to buy into it. So you have to kind of make the choice. Do you want to be right? Do you want to be effective? And 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 then you kind of work with whoever we are. Again, also the I guess different clubs are going to have the ability to maybe create a new group and and set this up a little differently. But well, the other side is you and and part of my my approach to this was that. I'm kind of hoping that if they come in with this, I, I'm just here for fitness potentially, or I'm just going to be a 50% attendance guy, that maybe after a year of watching maybe kids make sectionals for the first time or make futures or juniors for the first time, that maybe they will look at their peers and say, oh, I can do that if, and then maybe it kind of gives them, you know, it kind of puts the onus on them to say, now I, I don't want to be a 50%er anymore. I want to be able to go to futures with everybody and team travel to these meets. Right. What do I got to do? And then, you know, and maybe you just kind of waiting that for way. that. For maybe that that's fire a really too. optimistic view yeah. of it. And I, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But I've had kids who, who, who've come in as, you know, recreational part-time, you know, multi-sport people. And after a year or two decide that swimming is a priority and go on to do great things. And then you have people that don't change, and they still and swim well, or they don't. You yeah. Know? Or, um, uh, but I guess the whether they swim well or not, as long as they, if they can look back and be satisfied with what they got out of the sport, is is another way to to think yeah, about. Yeah, they may um, judge success differently than than we do. Right. And uh, sometimes it's again it yeah. because if you are in the profession and if you are dedicated and you are putting all the time and some of the stuff we talked about already. Uh, it's easy to think that then everybody owes you the same type of commitment, but that's just it's not, not the way happen. it works. Yeah, it's um, 
It wouldn't it wouldn't be reasonable to even ask that, I don't think. Yeah. Um uh, did you have any besides learning from coaches and reaching out to some people, any other tools, any other ways that you uh use to kind of learn and things uh yeah. uh so when I first got into it we did a lot of the, the championship production videos, the DVDs. Oh yes, I, uh, I, do remember I think those, everybody yes. at some point watched those back in like the late two thousands. VHS too at the time. Oh we were <laughs> I was on I think I had DVDs. Meh, maybe maybe a couple VHSs, but uh, I, I I learned a lot from those. Um, as far as just the basic, uh, the basic stuff, because the strokes have changed so much even in the last twelve years now. As right. far as you know, you know, from what I was taught in the '90s to what we started teaching in '08 to what we teach now is it's evolved. It's it's not. I wouldn't say completely different. Some things certainly are. Right. Um, but some things, uh, you know, as far as setting a foundation for the stroke, you know, alignment, balance, all that stuff. Those are somewhat universal. Um, and those came out of some of those DVDs that, that I remember watching. Um, a lot of YouTube videos, which is an amazing resource. It's well, it's, it's good and it's bad. It's good because we have it. It's bad because now everyone has it. And, and then they decide that they can take things into their own hands. But right. that's, that's a whole nother yeah. that's a whole nother rant if you want yeah. it. <laughs> we can come back to that one. Um, I think I had the, the two or three swim the two swim coaching Bibles. I remember reading through those as a young coach. I try and like kind of leaf through those yearly if I can. Right. Those um, are um, they're kind of like compilations. They're compilations of by multiple coaches, yeah, correct? Swim of, coach, the yep, swim coaching Bible. A lot of yes. very successful coaches threw some stuff in there about starts and turns and freestyle sprint freestyle right just and about training. about i think there's some about running the program and and how to work with your assistants and things like that yeah I there's remember. a ton of amazing information there so that's something i would i would actually recommend everybody leaf through those if you can um i, I think i i read uh Salo's strength conditioning book right it's a it's kind of a short pdf is that correct is that what the one i'm thinking about or no, that's sprint salo which okay. i read that too that's 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 a pretty good research. oh i th i think i know which book you're talking about the think. the strength and conditioning yeah um, and it just kind of goes through more of a swimming specific correct know, it has it's a lot some, of physiology some anatomy and uh yeah, yeah a uh, lot of that drawings stuff. Um, um, so those are really the only books i remember reading i mean i've read books on just like straight leadership here and there that's actually um, more more so than swimming because i think kind of like you hinted at i think sometimes it, it's easy to think that swimming is about the or coaching is about the swimming is about the strokes but i feel like that is that's kind of the easy part oh, Do you have yeah, any sure. any resources in terms of team building and leadership and and yeah, it's uh, an art. It's it's all finesse. You know, if you ask me, I mean, even even the technical stuff when it comes to teaching a stroke is very finesse because no two athletes are the same. Right. Um, yeah. As far as the, you know, I, and if you get a chance, there's a uh, a guy who does a podcast called Finding Mastery by Michael Michael Gervais. Michael Gervais. Yes. And he, and it's funny because I listen to his podcast when I can, but he also was on a podcast called armchair expert he All was right. a guest on it it's dax shepherd the actor and he did he talked a lot about his time with the seahawks and a big talk about relationship-based coaching how if you want success and in our sport's very individual but also team and he's i think he works with the seahawks 
which yeah, he is does. really I, team, I mean, but also individual. Yeah. But he, he talks so much about if you want success, you need to build a relationship with the, the human, the person first. And whether you, if you want to call it like a mutual trust, um, then once you build that relationship, it's easy to 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 see success, right? It's easy to then teach and to develop um, because now there's that again. They, it goes back to they trust you now, and they know that you have their their back. Correct. And so I take a I take I, I took that to heart and I meant and I got really close to a lot of my swimmers in my old club um, in the past and never maybe looked at it as trying to build a relationship for success. I was just trying to get to know them, hope, you know, try and make sure they're good people when they left the program. Right. Um, but it really comes down to, can you build a relationship with them for that reason? So that they're good people when they leave your program, but maybe to also to help them improve while they're in your program. In right. The pool in our case, because again, we're, we're a very individual sport. But the better your team, you know, yeah. a rising tide lifts all ships, as they say. I keep hearing that. It makes sense, but yeah. I don't know why it keeps <laughs> coming up. Uh, it's actually, I I believe... Uh, Sorry. That's all right. Yeah, if you're... Uh, one one or two days ago, even, I I uh, Michael Gervais had a short video on Twitter with that saying, the rising tide that lifts all boats. It just and, keeps coming up. And, and uh, Yeah, and it was... It was about uh, creating this uh, this environment, uh, and and again, just by uh, relating to your athletes and creating this environment that is going to help everybody succeed. Uh, but kind of like you said, coming from the coming from the relationship side, and yes, I would recommend anybody um, listen to that podcast. He's got he's got many. It's uh, yeah, because it's not sp- it's not like we we're talking about a sports sports right now but his is not it's yeah, just it's about excellence it's excellence why yeah are the, why are people successful right what makes and them tick what yeah. do they do what's their routines he does have actually a few with a couple swimmers uh and he had connor dwyer on there i that's the one i guess i believe was that's great the and then the other one that stuck i think it was eric vent right eric vent. is eric vent that talked about the eric the vent talked about a lot of stuff yeah. I would recommend finding that one if you can. Um, it's, it, he, there's a lot of stuff I learned about Eric Vent and that, and just about his upbringing, and just his drive. It's 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 super admirable what he's gone through. Correct. Yes. So um, yeah, absolutely. I I vouch for that. Uh, I feel like I had in in trying to record these conversations. There's three three podcasts that kind of like inspire me to to do this. Uh, one of them is uh, the Tim Fer- Tim Ferriss show, uh, which if you don't know Tim Ferriss, he he has a long form podcast. Uh, again, interviewing people from all areas, uh, m- most often not from sports, um, with uh, very practical advice, and I I think that's one of my favorite podcasts. Finding Mastery is the other one, so I think uh, I love the way uh, Michael Gervais try to get to the bottom of uh, excellence and and. Uh, and what makes people tick to pursue excellence. And I like, I really also like how he doesn't shy from kind of talking about the dark side of pursuing excellence, that there is, there is the, 
there's yeah there there is a cost a, yeah you pay a you pay a the, steep fee sometimes right and i think that that's that's great and the other one is uh um uh, the reader sports performance the swimming oh, yeah. podcast yeah. Yeah, yeah which i think is also a great podcast yeah, so I when, to that one too. in in trying to record these conversations i'm not trying to uh Let's say mimic any of any one of those, but it's it's almost like a my my way of uh, paying homage to, to them. I, th- I feel like all this make they do all all do a great job, and I just had the opportunity of being in the road and talking to some people and putting those conversations out there. So that's kind of like what I'm what I'm trying to do. But it's funny that you brought Finding Mastery as well. Yeah, it's uh, a good one. I recommend that yeah, one too. Definitely, definitely one of my favorites. Um, so. In uh, kind of circling back, did you have any uh, along your path any favorite kind of failure story? And and I think that's to me at this point a, a, a two pronged question. Uh, it can either be something that that you did or or in a situation that went horribly wrong, uh, but that <laughs> you learned the lesson and you wouldn't change anything because the lesson was worth it, or something that uh, had you had a chance of a redo, you would go a different way you had any story that you uh be able to share i don't know if i have any i mean we we fail all the time in this job right and and we for the most part take it take it very personally i do um i mean there's hundreds of examples of just kids that you think deserve to go faster that don't perform did we put them in a position to be successful did we did we come down far enough volume wise? Did we come down too far volume wise? Did we come down too soon volume wise? <laughs> you know, you know, you know. W- those the, questions the come up seasonally, right? Right, and so um, like every like the like the f- our LSC champion usually had the thousand or the eight first event right out of the gate, and it was like, oh my god, this first one better be good. Or like, yeah, you know, it's so it's setting the, up the whole the whole you meet. spend the first yeah, and it's <laughs> you know they go fastest to slowest, so it's your top kid right out of the gate, and you just like I need him to go fast, please God, go fast. Right. And then everyone else will see that it's okay to go fast. And and I don't know, maybe that's probably my neuroses more than anything. I I don't think I ever walked into a championship meet not feeling that way. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> I think that's good. It's a you know I I don't like anxiety. Don't get me wrong, but I think it's it, it certainly shows the fact that we care. But I, I can't think of any specific failures. I mean. I've screwed up some things administratively and get, you know, we had a relay get DQ'd because I didn't turn a relay card in type stuff. I mean, th- that that's a whole incident that went down, which <laughs> turned out to be hilarious after the fact. But um, as far as the specific failure, I can't really think of much. I mean, uh, we we try and learn from everything. We we screw up, you know, and, you know, I, I'm – I'm I'm confident in my ability to to help and and to and to teach and to and to train and 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 we're gonna fall flat here and there. I mean the worst the worst times is when you have those hundred percent attendees, never miss a practice, do everything they're ever asked, not swim well. That I think is that's the hardest. That thing is the hardest thing as a coach. And, and really all you, that's it's so hard on the athlete and that we feel bad because we 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 missed. Right, right. Yeah. We, it's you're you're gonna miss every once in a while, but I don't think there's ever anything that's worse than that. In, right. In my I, experience, is you have a, a a young man or young woman who shows up day in day out, motivated, um, 
They're they're mm-hmm. working to maximize their strengths, minimize their weaknesses, and they they put in the work. Mm-hmm. And then you go to big meet, and they drop. And they just they just they fall flat. Yeah. And you know, and there's a, there could be a hundred reasons why. Right. You don't know. You don't know what's happening in their personal lives, but you do everything you can, and they do everything they can to put themselves in a position to be successful, and they don't find success. That to me is the hardest thing to deal with, um, and traditionally it doesn't happen. Traditionally, if someone does everything they've ever been asked yes. to do, they're going to be perfectly fine and probably better than most. Um, but it, yeah, just yeah, two, I agree. Two, that I is can count like maybe five, six times in my twelve years. You've had that experience where everyone rolls in, you know, whether it's full rest, shave, taper type stuff, and one person. It's and it just happens to be the one person that that, that didn't miss a practice is the one struggling, and everyone yeah. else is fine. Yeah, it's it. I been there, and it, it is. I agree. It's one of the hardest things, and well, you feel just, like you just you don't know why. Like you just have to sit back and go, I don't know what what happened. Right? Did we not mentally prepare them for this? Because everyone else is fine. Yes. Um, it's not the training. Everyone else is doing well. Play not. I, that that to me is it's super frustrating and it's like heartbreaking right yeah it's it's uh one of those kids that you absolutely want to see succeeding yeah. at that at that point uh, and because he or she deserves uh, yeah for sure uh, all right uh, uh moving on then you just uh had to hire for your um as an assistant you had, had to hire an assistant coach yep. for this new new position mm-hmm. uh and you actually the other day we were talking about um, you guys are also recently kind of trying to hire in the club level. Uh, this is one of the things that having been in a position to hire in the past couple of years, I'm, I'm starting to feel uh, uh, currently uh, uh, very interesting in terms of how people do it. How, how do you go about hiring? What is What was your process? Yeah, so the club level is different. A lot of what we did was uh, – it was somewhat word of mouth ish at the club level. Um, there's a lot of, you know, ex swimmer types, whether or not they're college kids or, you know, just graduated college kids moving back to Des Moines that we would, we would reach out to when we needed staff. And it was hard sometimes. Um, what I kind of wish I w- could have done was potentially taken somebody who had a passion for working with kids who maybe didn't know swimming very well. And, kind of brought them in and developed them into coaches because what we ended up doing most of the time was finding, Oh, you used to swim. Okay. You can, you want to coach too. Yeah. And then I think what happens is that they don't get the de- coaching development that they deserve. So we said, we used to swim. Here's the workout, run the workout, but we don't actually teach them how to run it. We don't necessarily give them the tools to make stroke corrections or teach the fundamentals Right, just because we make these crazy assumptions that oh, you swam for twenty years, you must know Here's what a to workout. do. Run it the way I want it run, please. Yeah, and then we walk off and run another group, which is unfair to them and it's unfair to the kids. It's really unfair to your whole program if you think about it. Um, but it's uh, but that being said, there, there's it's hard to find good coaches. Yeah, at I, any level, I think I, right now it sounds like it's a it's been a struggle. I know talking to some some people that run programs here in the KC metro 
uh, they're just struggling to find qualified bodies to be on deck. You know, they, they know that once they can get them in the program, they can teach them and right. help them be better coaches, but they just can't get people in the door right now. Um, and that's something we actually struggle with at the, even with the college is that we, we posted the assistant job. Mind you, it was a little late in the game, but we, we just, we didn't get a lot of applicants. We were lucky to get some good ones. Yeah. And, and we have a, we have a good assistant coach right now who, who has done a great job in her first month on the, uh, on the job. But you know, when, when we, when we, when we do the club stuff and the college stuff, like I like to just, I usually have just five or six questions I want to run by them. And, you know, some of it is, is training, you know, what are your training philosophies? Um, things of that ilk, if you will. But I like to ask questions like about, you know, wh- what do you feel about team bonding, team culture? How do you deal with discipline issues? Uh, Cause I think that really says a lot about if they can work kind of in the environment I want to foster you know, because some people are, you know, we we all have our own ways. We want to see things run. And if somebody is a, you know, hardcore authoritarian, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I'm not sure that would work well in my program. Right. Because that's not the way I approach things. I tend to use, you know, we use teaching moments type stuff. And, and not to say we don't hold kids to a high standard, but we don't necessarily want a, a drill sergeant coming in the door and, and, and screaming at people all day every day so that's why i like the things about culture and discipline you know so that hopefully we're on the same page then a lot of what i'll ask is you know what what do they do when they're not you know if it's a part-time job like if they're like if you're not at your full-time job or coaching what do you like to do okay um and you know and like in our college thing it was like what do you do away from the pool what do what do you what would you do if you weren't coaching swimming because I think so much, I, and I hate job interviews. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm so uncomfortable in those situations. You know, they give you the, well, if this happens, how would you react? Yeah. And what would you do next my, time? Type. My least favorite one is where do you see yourself in five oh, years? I, like. I, I just, I don't, I'm so uncomfortable in those situations. So I try not to put people in those situations. I try and make it as like conversational as possible. So like, hey, what do you do when you're not on the pool deck? You know, because then people hopefully can get comfortable and then maybe open up to you. Right. And show you kind of who they really are. Because what how you act in a job interview most likely isn't how you're going to act. That's, <laughs> in yeah, you're, you're, you're putting up a show, right? <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, um. we'd be unemployable. <laughs> uh, and is there, did you have or do you have now a, a board uh, or a plan when you're kind of onboarding people? So when, I guess you, you mentioned uh, ideally when you first got somebody into the program that doesn't know much about swimming, you would kind of teach them about swimming. Uh, is there ever a, a plan in terms of like, this is the things that I need to teach this person or, or the coach or a couple, how, how would the first week for, for a new hire go? Uh, yeah. So ideally? after the, all the certifications and all that good stuff's done, you know, the pre-employment screening that is required to USA swimming, I guess I'll speak to the club stuff versus, uh, we, we really didn't have a plan at all for like a long time. And I don't call it, I was too busy doing other things, call it, it was just a complete oversight, probably that one. Um, but what we ended up doing was we, we went to a, um, we tried to get like a list of every drill we do 
like in an Excel, why we do it, and then how to teach it. And we try to put it in some as most of a you know mostly a progressional format so that you know we start with a head lead kick, an arm lead kick, and a single arm lead kick, and a so kind of a skill sheet. We try to kind of put a skill sheet. sheet together that we could go through. Um, it wasn't perfect and it wasn't all inclusive, right? You, you try and uh, in a perfect world we would have everything we've ever done on there, but it's it's not, it's not feasible. Um, so that was something we we try to we try to uh, you know in you know implement. The other thing is we just we made sure they weren't alone right out of the gate. Okay. So if if someone comes on, then we make sure they were with a seasoned coach in a sense as much as possible early mm. and uh and you know because it wasn't necessarily feasible to have them with me all the time whether or not i was at right. a different site or you know we were doing mornings I, i'd say probably in a perfect world they probably should have been with our with me or with our top assistant right early as much as possible and then able to kind of trickle their yeah i feel like the running their own group i th- i th- you may you may speak more to this or have some more insight, but I think with new coaches we tend to put them with developmental kids, which is the hardest thing to do. <laughs> yes. Right. And 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 if you think I'm wrong, please don't 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 agree with me. It's I you could almost make a case that if you hire someone to be a swim coach, put them with the senior group for a while. Make sure they have a mentor or something, coach with them on deck. Don't you know, to give them a group solo or anything like that. But let them learn there where that you can actually maybe have a conversation during a set about why we do things this way or, or what we're looking for. Um, you, you might, just just as a side note, you might pick yeah. up some dog breathing we on the recording. <laughs> um, but I'm saying like uh, you, you, a lot, so often we we would hire an 18, 19, 20-year-old college kids and say, all right, you're going to work with our novice group. Good luck. This is what we're doing today. This is why we're doing it. This is what we want you to do. And they don't have the they don't have the tools. Yeah, it's, it's not that they're not capable. They don't have their their toolbox is empty. Yeah, <laughs> right? I feel like you. Oftentimes you do that because it's get, it's getting hours, right? It's hours and and getting the I I feel like their age difference still to the senior kids are it's small so you feel like well they're gonna get the buy-in from the younger kids the younger kids are gonna do whatever you ask them to do anyway yeah, so in terms I, of i completely i you're 100 percent right but at the same time i think a lot of that is us not giving credit to our senior athletes for having respect for the for coaches you, we put in front of them correct yes. right and um, if you're if you're really serious about having a program that that is about respect and is about respecting whatever coach steps on deck yeah. then i think i can't imagine any of my athletes ever would have mutinied against a 20 year old who was running our senior program like but it for some reason as i got away from it or as i got older i started realizing like it's way harder to coach developmental oh yeah age group than it is to coach senior like what's mentally mental development like they're just they're more wild right i feel they don't focus as well it takes way more energy. I mean, I yeah, the energy on deck, the level of energy you got to give on deck is just. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. Like you could run a two and a half hour senior practice and then run like 30 minutes of like pre-competitive 
and the 30 minutes of pre-comp is going to – it would put me into the ground <laughs> compared to, like, maybe, my seniors. Maybe that's why you put the younger kids there. <laughs> well, it could, be, yeah, it could be my complete lack of energy at age 34, too. Yeah, that's not um, – that's probably a bad thing. <laughs> but I think there is something to be said. Like, we right. – I think a lot of times we just say, oh, you're new at coaching. Work with the new kids. Right. Yes. Right? And, and Yeah, I, I definitely have heard that many times, and, and we – we should put some of our more experienced like coaches. Our best coaches should be working with our youngest kids if yes. you want them to succeed long term. Right. Right. Because yeah. I mean, how how many times has a kid rolled into one of your groups and been like, "Oh my God, we didn't teach them how to sand off, right. how to push you know, off the wall." Don't, they don't know how to do intervals. Yeah. Um, we have college kids who can't streamline still on our <laughs> team right now. We're working on it. We're working on it. Back, uh, there might be a cut before here because yeah, the old dog, the old dog intermission for losing it right. while looking at another dog outside yeah. the window. A, a dog was out the window; they had to make their case, yeah, assert their dominance, if you will. <laughs> so, uh, uh, putting that question again, you were just made that transition from um, club coaching to college coaching. Uh, is there anything that, uh, looking back, you kind of wish you knew? Uh, as a club coach? Uh, I mean, there's certainly more information I wish I maybe would have had when I took the job. Now, this wasn't a... I, I, the interesting thing is I was I was moving, so I needed a job, and this one, you know, this one came up, and it was a great job. Um, I think that when I got here, I... And I think I rightfully assumed that the coaching itself, the on-deck coaching, workout prep, all that stuff, was going to be the easiest part of the job right out of the gate, and I was right. Right, so coaching these athletes uh, thus far has been like it, it's been the exact same thing I've been doing with our senior kids, um, maybe to a different scale, but as far as the approach, it's been very similar. Um, you know, n but now we have access to weight room and, and dry land space. It's it's been kind of eye opening. More more to personnel to see how, to see how the, the the other side have been living for years. Uh, <laughs> And, you know, and I don't have as much help on deck uh, as I would maybe with the club, but I also don't have nearly as many athletes to look after uh, at the same time. So uh, as far as if I had more information, you know, it, it would be nice to know kind of more of the it, – it would be nice to know some of, like, maybe the policies and procedures that the college has. Um, but I got such a late start because I finished the long course season in Des Moines. I committed to finish that season with those athletes before I came down. So – literally finished futures on Sunday was on campus at staff meetings on Monday. Um, and you know, I really only had about two and a half weeks before the athletes were on campus and another week before our season started. So if I, and if I wish I had some more information, it was only because I, we kind of got off on a, we got kind of off on our back foot a little bit and it, and because of my late start, it took a while to get, um, oh, and this hasn't been on. Oh, it's been on. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh no, uh, yeah. It, so because of my late start, it took a while to get uh, our assistant onboarded, and so it it wasn't necessarily information. I just kind of wish I would have gotten going earlier, so I would have had a uh, just a little more to work with right out of the gate. Right. Well, it just there. came down to like making sure our travel is scheduled, our buses are scheduled, and our apparel was here, and that's just stuff that we hopefully could we probably could have done in July. But I wasn't here in July, right? So, um, thinking more about the um, 
uh, I guess re rephrasing the question a little bit in, more in terms of uh, what you're seeing now in terms of the, the recruits coming in and the, uh, your relationship with club coaches now versus before your relationship as a club coach to a college coach. Is there anything that having been on both sides of that equation, you feel like, I guess to cue that up a little bit, I, I we chatted via phone, I think after your, your first practice, uh, very, very first workout, and you said something along those lines, like, well, I thought when they got to college, they knew a lot more than they do, and I have some kids that <laughs> were uh, not ready yeah, for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and a lot of these kids right now, unfortunately, where they had kind of a, they had a rough year in the past with some, you know, I'm the third coach in three years, so there's going to be transitional, uh, you know, headaches here and there. And um, I guess what I'm finding, and, and yeah, to your, to speak into our conversation, it was that I, I think I underestimated uh, just the skill developmental, of fundamental type stuff that, that you get with college athletes. I think so much of it is you read Swim Swim and you read a lot of articles about Cal and you look at, you know, nationals and I've been to futures and juniors and all those meets and all that. And you just look at these kids and you think college swimming and you somehow equate college swimming with this level of swimming. And, and not that we don't have some insanely talented kids on our team right now, but there's, w there's still work to be done. Right. I think that yeah. was some of my, some of the, the hang up right out of the gate was like, Oh, like, yeah, this is not like, like this is still developmental swimming just on a different scale. Right. Right. So we're still teaching. And I think that I think somewhere in my brain, I think I must have had the switch flip wrong, thinking like, "Oh, it's college. We it's just college have to train really hard and go <laughs> fast. It's be easy. They're gonna know the basics and, by and now." I know it wouldn't be easy. Like I don't want to like I, I don't want to try and think everyone think I was like going in all arrogant. Like it's gonna be like the easiest gig on earth. I knew it would be work, but I, I think I thought it'd be more skewed towards developing training, and less skewed towards technical fundamental challenges and stuff like that. But you know, I th you get it at every level, and I think th I think there may be a misconception that once you get to college, like you can't change, like you're just kind of stuck with what you got. And I don't agree with that. I think, you know, I'm especially with the gr I mean, if you saw the kids, we s the way we started the season three weeks ago to now, you'd probably you'd probably think it was a whole different team. Some of that was fitness. Some of that is they've just worked really hard to make some really good changes. Right there you know and once you put your mind to it so so much of what we talk about is just effort so much of our sport is just effort you know streamlining is not a skill no it is but well sorry but it's, it's not yeah. a talent it's not like you're not a talented oh, talent, streamliner. Yeah. i'm sorry yes. i missed you i it was i meant talent not skill streamlining is not a talent it's a skill right that takes effort yes and especially to commit to staying underwater what, yeah what doing three dolphin line. kicks is a skill that you can learn. You just have to do it. Right. Doing your pullout properly is a skill. You know, doing your turns properly is a skill. So it's like now having talent helps, right? Yes. Some people are more predisposed to, to doing good turns or having good streamlines than others. But that doesn't mean you just because you're not an amazing breaststroke, you know, pullouter you that you can't, can't become one. Right. So, you know, effort is you know, that's one of the things we look for is, is, are you, okay, I understand you may not be good at it, but are you doing it? Yeah. Are you getting, are you, are you putting the effort to in get better? And are you trying to get better at it? Because if you do something consciously for so long, hopefully it becomes subconscious, right? right? That's the goal. If you streamline every day from 
age 12 to 14, when you're 15 over, hopefully you'll never have to think about streamlining properly again. And yeah. we're just doing it with college kids in a sense. Yeah. I um, started thinking about this. I feel like swimming fast is simple, but it's not easy. Oh, yeah. And and making it more complicated doesn't make it easier. No. You're, but it's simple. It's it yeah. it's well streamline, uh hold a streamline ball, kind of all the what things. Is it? It's low counts and high stroke rates. Right, yeah. Right? It's it's we simple. Want to, we yeah. want to take as few strokes as possible, as quickly as possible right. and get across the pool. But it's not easy. No, it's it's awfully hard. Yeah. Um all right, kind of uh, on that note perhaps, um, a little bit of a segue. Did you have any recent changes to training philosophy or training uh or equipment any any recent things that you can think i mean i guess we talked about how the strokes have changed yeah Uh, we're uh, we're always evolving what we teach based on what we are now know to be successful right And and that's not even a perfect system because people are different uh i think the biggest uh my my I don't think my approach has necessarily changed too terribly much. It's obviously gotten different as I've aged and as I've learned more. Um, we've put a lot more emphasis on stroke counts, so for efficiency reasons, and then we've also put a lot more emphasis on stroke rates. Um, luckily, our our governing body has a lot of that information for us, so right. we can look at you know the top eight people at nationals every year, immediately following nationals, and say that the the best fifty freestylers in our country cycle at 0.9 to 1.05 right and that and that doesn't mean i go back to our sprinters and say you need to be under one one zero but it gives us a target right it allows me to get a watch out of practice and say okay well if you're doing 25s fast you're a one two five best swimmers in the world are at one zero five or better how do we how do we get there yeah how do we get there without and not only how do we get there how do we get there without sacrificing your distance per cycle right right because that's we all know you can you can go really fast you can spin (laughs) yeah but you won't necessarily go Go anywhere yeah so i think the emphasis on efficiency and effectiveness you know we want low counts high rates you know how are we going to get there and i think that's the challenge is how do you take somebody at one seven and get them to cycle at one five i mean you could throw a tempo trainer in their ear Maybe they rush, maybe they figure it out, but how do you actually change what they're doing technically to accommodate a higher rate? You know, whether it's we got to get into our catch sooner, we got to get into a release earlier, you know, because those really are the only ways you can theoretically increase your stroke rate without just chopping down your power cycle. Right. right. You can only pull water effectively for so much, so fast. Right. So do you release faster? Do you enter, you know, and, and it just becomes, then it, then it becomes, that's like the, the fun part for me is how, wow. how do we do it? And that's like where my, I think my, my brain is happiest is in those moments of like, well, how do we get this kid where we want him to be or where he wants to be or needs to be? And uh, yeah, I think that's that's where I have the most fun with the sport. I think or the coaching is figuring those types of things because my brain works in these weird analytical ways. Or I'm you know I'm looking at how many strokes you're taking. Can we get you to ten strokes? Can we get you to nine strokes for twenty five? What's that going to do time wise? Should we be taking more strokes potentially at a higher rate? You know that, that's I I just I'm happy in those moments. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um. Moving away from coaching, kind of almost uh, wrapping up here, 
uh, well, I guess maybe moving away, but not so much. Do you have uh, do you have a routine? What if you were to like set up your ideal day or or, or or a typical day? What do you have something that the first thirty minutes will look the same, or first thirty minutes to three hours will look the same? What would your uh, so I I used to have. So before we moved, this whole like last two months, of selling houses in Des Moines, moving to De- Missouri has been a complete heck. Yeah, I guess scra- scratch so, that time. So we'll, 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 we'll eighty-six <laughs> that from the conversation. Bef- but I guess just really, as, you can, as, I can break it down into like before having a child and after having a child. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, when I was younger, it was like morning practice, work, nap, and then when I had a child, it was morning practice, feed, try and work around or feed myself and child. And then work while trying to raise a child <laughs> and never get a nap again. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not, I've never been big into a routine, you know, uh, it's just cause this, the schedule in our, in our sport doesn't necessarily. Yeah. Again, especially when you're doing do, yeah. doubles three days a week, but not yeah, every day. It doesn't necessarily lend itself to having a great routine. There's certainly things I try and do every day. Uh, when I'm more settled, you know, you try and get a workout and take care of yourself as much as you can. You try and eat right. You try and, you know, and now it's, you know, we get mornings pretty much every day of the week and I try and, you know, try and get something healthy in me after morning practice, drink plenty of water, stuff like that. And, and I'm lucky now that, w- you know, I can still pop out of the office now for a couple hours, head home and do my stuff at home if I need to before coming back for afternoon practice. And we have Wednesday afternoons off so I can have these great conversations like this. Uh, no, just, you know, it, it it breaks up the week a little bit different, and I'm still adjusting to the different schedule now than I had in the past, And but you know, I've never been huge on routines. Okay. Um, if, you, if you had to give a presentation, or since you're on a college campus right now, if you had to teach a college class on anything other than swimming, uh, what would it be? Oh, man, nothing anybody would want to take. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Uh that's a good question. I, th- I think, uh, I don't know, psychology, sociology, something in that, that realm. And I say that because it it kind of answers the question of why we are the way we are and why we act the way we act, and, and not just as individuals, but as a society and as a, as a group. Um, and I think that, to me, is just interesting. You know, we're in a group dynamic pretty much all day, every day with these, with these young athletes and young, young adults now. And it would be nice to kind of, you know, talk about why, you know, my experience with these with these people and why they're successful, why they're not. So I, I could I could see that being some interesting, or something completely off the wall, and you know, like the Beatles or something, stu- <laughs> something stupid. But uh, the, maybe not uh, at our college. Our college is probably a little past the. They're a little more rigorous with their course. Than <laughs> I think they than they probably wouldn't, wouldn't approve that class. Yeah, I'm not sure they would uh, credit, credit me to, to, <laughs> to teach that one either. But um, um, all right, um, is there? Um, I guess. What would you think is the for somebody that somebody that's listening to this, but also for somebody that works with you on a day to day? What do you think is like? the most important thing people should know about you that perhaps they don't? Something they don't, huh? I'm a pretty open book. Um, 
I know the, the one thing I think, and, and I think most people probably do know this, is that we're, we, we preach accountability. And I, we, we expect athletes to hold themselves accountable. We expect them to hold their teammates accountable. And I, we expect them to hold the staff accountable just the same. Because we're a part of this too. They're, they're not going to be successful without us. And we're not going to be successful without them. So we need to be held to the, high, the highest standard that we, we set for them as well. So, and Michael Gervais, going way back to him, he, he works with the Seahawks. They have three rules. And the three team rules for the Seattle Seahawks, which we've stolen, if you will, for our team is always protect the team. Uh, no whining, no excuses, no complaining, and be on time, right? And they're vague, and the reason they're vague is because they need to be open for interpretation because they can mean so much more than those three things. So be on time, you know, you could look at the clock, you show up on time, but what's that mean? It shows that you are, you have respect for other people's time. It shows that you have respect for the, the group of people that are coming in with you potentially. It shows that you care, that you care enough to be on time. So they leave these vague rules, um, and I think those are three things you could pretty much live your life by because you know that's something we're just trying to instill with these young adults we know they're not going to be pro swimmers you know n how many what 99.5 percent 99.8 percent probably are not going to make any money ever in their lives being a swimmer the hope is always they swim fast they enjoy themselves they learn something and then they they can then be advocates for the sport down the line right and take take something we don't ever want to have somebody come out of our sport or our program specifically with a bad experience. Right. Because nobody wins in that situation. Right. They had a bad experience. Then they tell other people they had a bad experience. And then you get a bad reputation. And no coach wants to see an athlete fail or struggle. Correct. So, you know, we, 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 we want to hold people accountable, but we expect to be held accountable as well. All right. Well, um, First of all, uh, I again when I plan on getting on the road and and going ac across this country, kind of a little little tour, uh, I thought about uh, visiting some coaches and and decided. Well, I really want to make sure I record this and and put this out for people to learn. Uh, and I thought about when when I figure what my my route will look like. You were going to be my first stop, and I felt like. Oh, I'm really, uh, this right, is going to be... So it's only going uphill from here. Yeah, only, You're only welcome, <laughs> people. <laughs> Actually, I, I felt like this is this is a great start and uh, did not disappoint. I am happy to uh, put this out there into the, uh, for the world to, to hear because I think there's a, a lot of great stuff yeah. uh, there. Once again, I'm, uh, I was really happy that you uh, swimming kept you. Uh, I think it's a win for swimming for, for having you in the sport. Uh, and I can't thank you enough for the hospitality here and for uh, being willing to sit yeah. down. It's been a good, it's been my pleasure. It's not over yet. We'll yeah, have some more fun this week. That's correct. Uh, do you have any closing thoughts? Anything else you would like to? Uh, no, man. Go Cardinals. Go D two. Have uh, some fun, guys. Uh, this is this is that's the whole point. We're here to have fun. It's swimming is supposed to be fun. We want people to enjoy it. We want people to you know approach you get to go to practice you don't have to go to practice that's the that's the goal at the end of the day if you can get there you'll be successful all right well once again thank you my pleasure yeah. anytime my man
transit for the first episode of the Swim Coach in Transit podcast. Thank you for listening. And if you made it to the end, I really hope you enjoyed it. I had a great time recording it and also listening to it again while editing. And thanks again to Greg for his hospitality and for taking the time for this long chat. If you did enjoy this, please take a few seconds to give this podcast five stars or a positive review on whatever podcast player you use. And if you like to hear more shows like this, there's a few more already recorded and being worked on. So be sure to subscribe. Also, check out the show notes on my blog, swimcoachintransit.com. That's swimcoachintransit, all spelled out together, lowercase, with no dashes or special characters. There, you can find links to books, other podcasts, and all other resources we talked about during this show. And last but not least, thank you to my good friend Madhu for the soundtrack to this podcast, which is playing again on the background. You can also find his Instagram info on the show notes, and there's a ton of great music there, so it's well worth checking out. Also thanks to Zapslat for the sound effect, including on the weird cut I had to make so that the dog's barking wouldn't deafen you. And that's it. Thanks again, and I hope you catch the next one.